Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. But our culture is in desperate need of daddies. Our culture is uh, fraying and falling apart because, because we as fathers need to rise up to the position uh, of, of leaders in our homes and in our communities. Did you know that Mother's Day is one of the highest attended, uh, church attended days of the year? And Father's Day is one of the least? Because what moms really want for Mother's Day is they want their kids to be in the presence of God with them. They want their kids in, in the house of God with them. They want their families before the Lord. And unfortunately, not you guys, of course, because you're here, but unfortunately, what dads really want is a day off. <laughs> but I'm calling you to something higher. Listen, sometimes we think that we don't honor people until they deserve it, but when you honor a man, you actually honor him into the man God called him to be. You don't wait till he becomes the, God, the man God called him to be, and then you honor him. You honor him into becoming that man. And so right now, I would like the daddies to stand up, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to bless you. And if you want these men to be honored so that the hearts of the fathers are turned towards the children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers, I want to ask you to agree with me in blessing these men of God. You ready? By the way, I'm calling you a man of God even if you don't think you are. I'm calling you into who God's made you to be, okay? You're a man of God. Do it. Ready? So stretch your hands towards these daddies. Lord, thank you for these fathers. We honor them. We honor them, Lord. And Lord, we pray that your blessing would drip off of them. Lord, we pray that you would fill them with your word. We pray that you would fill them with righteous indignation. We pray that you would fill them with the fear of the Lord to love what you love and hate what you hate. We pray, Lord, that they would love their children and the children of their community, Lord. We pray that they would love and honor and guard and protect the women in their homes and the women of their community. We pray, Lord, they would be guardians of truth and they would be guardians of innocence, that they would be guardians of the weak that they would use their strength to cover and to protect and to uphold, to guard. And Lord, they would submit every ounce of their weakness to you so that you could even be glorified in that. Lord, we ask that these men, not for them, but for their inheritance, would rise up and that they would be fathers like you're a father. And I want it too, so give it to me too. In the name of Jesus Christ, let it begin here in our church, here in our house. In your powerful name we pray, amen? Amen. amen. We love you, daddies. And I'm throwing that to Belton, Texas, to my dad, too. I love my father. Um, guys, Josh and Joni are not here this week. They're on a road trip, uh, probably having fun with their kids right now. Just pray for them that there'll be no accidents, no, 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 no tires going flat. They get good gas mileage and nobody throw up. Just be praying for them the whole time, okay? <laughs> now, uh, you know, I don't know if you had a good dad, a bad dad, good mom, bad mom, but there are things that we receive from our parents that if we stop and think about it, are positive. Like in our house, Jennifer and I, in our house, we really only had a couple of rules, and both of those rules really came from my family. The first rule, do you know the first rule of, of child rearing? Rule number one, I got this from my mom, is never give a child anything he whines for. If you want to raise a kid that's not a terrible person, 
Never give them anything that they whine for. If they throw a fit, they can't have it. Not now, not ever. You can't have it. Never give a child anything he whines for. Rule number two, and these are the only two rules in our house. Rule number two is honor. Everything else seats under honor. Obeying your mother and father, treating your siblings kindly, not talking back to the ones over you, protecting and not harming the ones under you. Everything falls under honor. So we only had two rules. And really, we got those from our parents. What if your dad sat you down one day and he said to you, I've got one other thing I need to tell you. This one thing, if you do this one thing, it's the golden ticket. I promise you that if you figure out this one thing, your life will be blessed. And he begins reading down a list of things that'll happen if you figure out this one thing. He says, if you figure out this one thing, you're gonna be strong, stronger than anybody else you know. If you figure out this one thing, you're gonna have health in your body. You'll have long life. You'll sleep well. (laughs) This one thing will relieve your anxiety, will increase your intelligence, will give you wisdom and knowledge beyond your peers and beyond your years. This one thing, you'll be filled with joy. You'll be kept from harm. You'll have riches and honor. Tell me what it is right now. You'll have the favor of God. You'll have mercy. God will listen to your prayers if you have this one thing. This one thing, in fact, was the secret to Jesus's success, and the Bible says that it was his favorite thing. Now, if your father told you, if you will embrace this one thing, you'll get all of this, what would your response be? Yeah, that's right. She, the first thing, thing Jorah said is, what is it? That's exactly right. What is it, and how do I get that thing? That's exactly right. Well, there is such a thing as that in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't do an amazing job of defining it for us. It actually defines it by the benefits that we get by having it. Now, are you ready? Do you want to know what the golden ticket is? All right, 14 people. The rest of you, close your ears. I'm going to read it, and as it begins to pop out, recognize. Ready? Proverbs 3, 7 through 8. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Do you see what it is? It's the fear of the Lord. That's right. This is incredible. Healing for your body. People ask me all the time, why do we see more healings in uh, third world nations than we see in the United States of America? That's why. Because there are other nations that have the fear of the Lord and America's lost it. If you want to see miracles... In the United States of America, we need to embrace the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16, 6, through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Why do we have such moral decay in our culture? Are you guys okay? I'm reading more. Proverbs 10, 27, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, longevity. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. You know what that means? The fear of the Lord cures anxiety. You guys okay? Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We could be less stupid than we are right now. Proverbs 1:11, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you haven't even started being wise. You haven't even started. You're a plumb fool if you don't have the fear of the Lord. Psalm 1, by the way, our, our country. 
Psalm 128, verse 1, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a cure for depression. Psalm 34, verse 7, for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. The fear of the Lord is protection. Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. You want success in life? You begin with the fear of the Lord. If you're not taking notes yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. Psalm 112, verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. I want to be blessed. Anybody else want to be blessed? Psalm 147, verse 11. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him. Do you want to hear the Lord one day say, this is my child in whom I am well pleased? I covet the delight of the Lord. Malachi 3.16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. The Lord listened to what they said. God listens to people who fear the Lord. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Psalm 103, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who that's exactly right. And then Jesus, this is his one thing. This is the thing that he loved above all other things. Isaiah 11, one through three. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That's foretelling the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we're reading all these, you're going, that's an Old Testament thing. The fear of the Lord is an Old Testament thing. Really? Jesus Christ delighted in the fear of the Lord. He's a New Testament thing. Jesus Christ delighted in the fear of the Lord. Now, guys, we're about to talk about something that is just complicated enough that it gives me the shivers even trying to talk about it. Because there's been harm done in the body of Christ talking about this thing. And there's been more harm done in the body of Christ not talking about this thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit for help. And my prayer is that by the end of this series, I delight in the same thing Jesus delighted in. And that you delight in the same thing Jesus delights in. Anybody agree with me about that? All right. Well, if that's you, just put your hands like this and we're going to pray it. Lord Jesus, if you delighted in the fear of the Lord, we want to delight in the fear of the Lord. We don't understand it. We're confessing right now that our minds are too, are too small, too fragile to even fully comprehend you. But Lord, would you give us understanding? Would you give us knowledge and insight? I'm asking Jesus Christ that you would pour out upon us the spirit of the fear of the Lord and that we would be a church and a people who walk in it and because we walk in it, all of these promises and benefits that you would pour these things into our lives in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Anybody say amen? Amen. 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 Okay, so our culture has given fear a bad name. Have you noticed that? Have you seen those bumper stickers that say no fear? Has it ever occurred to you that not all fear is bad fear? No fear. Listen, I don't want my kids dating a dude that has no fear on the back of his car. You know why? 
because that dude's plumb stupid. If, if you don't have any fear, you're going to do dumb things all the time because proper fear teaches me to weigh risk, teaches me how to weigh reasonable risk along with uh, appropriate caution. I'm like, what is the word? Reasonable risk along with appropriate caution. If I don't have any fear at all, I can't make good decisions. When my uh, youngest, um, when my oldest son became old enough to drive a car, I noticed that it's more expensive to insure a teenage male than it is to insure a teenage female. Do you know why? Because they make dumb decisions. You know why they make dumb decisions? Because they have no fear. Their brains have not figured out rational fear yet, and so they drive hazardously. The odds of you getting in a wreck with a teenage boy are higher than you getting in a wreck with anybody else in our culture because they have not figured out that there is such a thing as good fear. It causes you to walk in reasonable risk and reasonable caution to make good decisions. Is that okay? There's a rational fear and an irrational fear. There's a holy fear and an unholy fear. We have to weigh those things out. If you guys heard of Grizzly Man, there's this documentary about this guy, Grizzly Man, and, and he lacked fear. He was not afraid of bears. He thought that he had a special relationship with bears and that none of the rules that apply to the rest of us applied to him because all the bears loved him. Do you know what happened to Grizzly Man? He got eaten by a bear. That's right. Grizzly Man is now Grizzly Poop. And the reason that Grizzly Man is now Grizzly Poop is because he did not have reasonable fear. If you think you have a special relationship with God and the rules don't apply to you, you know who the crocodile hunter was, right? I know, it's really sad. I said was. There's a reason I said was. I love Steve Irwin. I love watching him wrestle around with crocodiles. He'd walk around talking about how he's going to find a rattlesnake, and then he'd stop all of a sudden because one was right between his legs. That was one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> he's sitting there going, all right, I found a diamondback rattlesnake. He's right there between my legs. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, here's the thing. He was a pleasure to watch, but the dude was naive. He didn't have reasonable fear. And I knew the entire time I was watching him, that guy's not going to live to an old age. And he even said that. He knew he wasn't going to live to an old age. And you know what happened? He died. He died because he didn't have reasonable, rational fear of a stingray. And in just moments, he got poked by a stingray a hundred times, poked him into his heart and killed him. Because he was treating something like a pet that was not a pet. You can't treat Jesus like your pet. He ain't a pet. That's not in my notes. I'd better keep going. <laughs> so there, there's a difference between rational fear and irrational fear. I'm, uh, I'm going to give you an example. Um, show that first slide we have. Do you guys remember this movie? This movie, you've never watched that movie? Don't do it. You, you shouldn't, no, you'll like them less if you watch this movie. Don't, you should, but this is an awesome movie. I'm sorry, it's an awesome movie. Came out in 1975, ruined my life. 
as soon as this movie came out, anything, any body of water that was deeper than my belly button could have jaws in it. It doesn't make any sense, but I'd be in a lake, and I'd be swimming for the boat, and I'd hear, dun 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 It's gonna eat me! And I'm in a freshwater lake, and Jaws is in the lake with me. Now, that was bad enough. Then I saw this James Bond movie called Thunderball. Do you guys remember Thunderball? 1965, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, you know, uh, 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 James Bond's wrestling with this dude. He falls in a pool. The bad guys put, close this gate over the top of the pool and open up a sluice gate, and sharks come swimming into the pool. <laughs> so I'm already scared to death of Jaws, and now it turns out Jaws can get in your swimming pool. <laughs> So I'm in the pool all the time. Every time I got in a pool, I'd go around the edges and look for sluice gates. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all, but here's what's really dumb. I'd look down at the drain. Could a shark get in through that drain? Listen, I'd be swimming, I'd jump in, I'd do a cannonball, I'd do a jackknife, and I would start swimming, and I would hear in the back of my head, dun 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 is it rational to be afraid of a great white shark in a swimming pool? No, that's not rational. Now, here's what's really sad. Every once in a while, late at night, I'd get the urge and I'd have to go to the bathroom. All by myself, I'm sitting there on the toilet in, in, in the dark for some reason, sitting there on the toilet, the smallest body of water in the house. <laughs> and I would hear underneath me... <laughs> What? It doesn't make any sense, but somehow in my child brain, I saw Jaws wiggling up through the sewage pipes, coming up, breaching out of the water, and, you know, taking the bait. (laughs) Oh! Guys, that's not a rational fear, right? But show me, show me this next one. In great white sharks move seasonally. They, they have a migration, and they come through South Africa every year, and they eat sharks. And if you show up at the, I mean, they eat seals. If you show up at the right time, you can see these half-ton porkers jumping full body out of the water like a dolphin, Catching seals. These guys are awesome. They're powerful. Just the ability to propel that much weight that far out of the water is awesome. Now, if I was in South Africa during the Great White Migration and I was in a fishing boat and one of my, you know, the sharks are jumping and one of my friends leans over and goes, I dare you to jump in the water. That's right. No. Why? Because that is a rational fear. Now show me the next picture. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but in 2010, Lady Gaga wore a meat dress to the MTV uh, Music Awards. Now, it's rational fear for me not to want to jump in the water with great white sharks when they're in a feeding frenzy. If I were to chum the water and put on Lady Gaga's meat dress 
and jump into the water, that's beyond rational fear, that's beyond foolishness, that's insanity. Should I be afraid if I chum the water and jump in with Lady Gaga's meat dress on? Yes, guys, that's what we do to God all the time. If you have a rational fear of sharks, you ought to consider that God made those. And while it's not your pet, it is his pet. And to God, that thing's like a guppy. He made it because he thinks it's cute. There is a God that's much bigger and much more fearsome than a great white shark. It is rational to have a reasonable, not to be afraid. I'm not afraid as I walk down the street that a great white shark is going to jump and get me. That's irrational. But to have a reasonable fear of God, that's another thing altogether. There's a reasonable and an unreasonable fear. And there's a holy and an unholy fear. Let me show you the unholy fear of God. This is, um, some of you have already been thinking about this. 2 Timothy 1, 7. You know this scripture, and sometimes people argue against the fear of the Lord using this scripture, okay? The Lord has not given you a spirit of fear. He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. Have you heard this before? The Lord is not giving, I've heard people preach, there's no need for the fear of the Lord because the Lord is not giving you a spirit of fear. The problem is those two words are two completely different words. This word, the spirit of fear, doesn't mean the same thing as the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This word means cowardice. The Lord has not made you a coward. The Lord has not given you a spirit of cowardice. Now watch this, verse eight. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. You know what he's talking to Timothy about in 2 Timothy 1.7? He's not telling him not to be reasonably afraid. What he's telling him is, don't be afraid to share the gospel. Don't have a spirit of cowardice when it comes to doing the things the Lord has called you to do. Because the spirit of fear is the direct opposite of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear calls us to flee from our calling, calls us to hide. But the fear of the Lord calls us to do awesome things. The spirit of fear makes me a coward. The spirit of the fear of the Lord makes me a hero. Because I know that there's nothing bigger than my God. By the spirit of the fear of the Lord, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fire. By the fear of the Lord, Daniel faced the lion's den. By the fear of the Lord, David faced Goliath. By the fear of the Lord, missionaries for hundreds of years have been facing torture and martyrdom for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the fear of the Lord. And did you know that by the fear of the Lord, Jesus faced the cross? He delighted in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says God so loved the, the world that he gave his only begotten son. God sent Jesus because he loves you. But Jesus went to the cross because he fears his father. The fear of the Lord is what causes you to be mighty. The fear of the Lord is supercharges the people of God. We're not talking about an unholy fear. We're talking about the only holy fear. A proper regard for God. You guys all right? Is anybody taking notes? Good job. The next one is, is kind of what Jorah was just asking a minute ago. What, what, so what's the fear of the Lord? What does that even mean? Does it mean to be afraid? 
No, it doesn't mean to be afraid. In fact, the people who are the least afraid of God are the people who most fear him. If I don't fear the Lord, I should be afraid. But if I have the fear of the Lord, I have no need to be afraid. This is difficult. I don't want you to get freaked out. They're not exactly the same thing. And sometimes you may have heard the fear of the Lord taught as respect. Have you ever heard that taught? Fear of the Lord is, is respect. I have a problem with that. Respect doesn't go anywhere near far enough for what we're talking about. So in our culture, we've diminished the word respect. When we say respect, what we mean is I value and honor you as equal to me. There's no such thing as equal in the fear of the Lord. When I say respect, I might be having a conversation. I say, I respect what you have to say, but I have a different opinion. The, the fear of the Lord does not respect in that term. The fear of the Lord prefers. If, if I'm talking with the Lord and he has a different opinion, I don't say, I respect your opinion, but I have a different opinion. If I have the fear of the Lord, I say, I respect and prefer your opinion. Whatever your opinion is, that's now my opinion. That's the fear of the Lord. We've diminished respect. So what I'm telling you is when you, this is, I think this has hurt the church because we've thought the fear of the Lord is just to respect him. And our view of respect is too small. Our fear of the, our fear of, our, our definition of fear being respect doesn't restrain us, doesn't constrain us. Did you know in ancient Hebrew, the concept of the fear of the Lord, the love of God teaches us to obey him, but the fear of God teaches us not to disobey him. They work hand in hand. In fact, in ancient Hebrew con conception, you can't have one without the other. I can't love God unless I fear him. It's a necessity. And I can't fear him unless I love him. It's a necessity. Unless I realize he loves me, I can't properly fear him because I'm going to be afraid of him. All of these things, these things are interwoven with one another and they're necessary. But if we remove one and we only have the other, I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. If we have a whole church who says they fear the Lord, I'm sorry, we have a whole church who says they love the Lord, but they don't fear the Lord. And if I love the Lord, but I don't fear the Lord, then I won't do what he actually asked me to do, and I'll disobey him constantly because I think he has no problem with it. It's just like the grizzly man thinking I have a special relationship with God so I can get away with things that the rest of you can't get away with. That's not true. The Lord is holy. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. It's the fear of the Lord who strengthens me to do mighty things. It's the fear of the Lord who strengthens me to face my culture and say, nope. It's the fear of the Lord that, that strengthens me to face my culture and say, you can disagree with me if you want to, but your opinion is not as important as the opinion of my God. That's the fear of the Lord. You guys okay? I think a better word, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm going to recommend this to you guys. If you're taking notes, if you read one book this year, don't read this one, read the Bible. <laughs> but if you read two books this year, <laughs> this is John Bevere's The Awe of God. I don't know if you've ever read anything by John Bevere. This has become his best-selling book. Uh, he's just awesome. Look him up. The Awe of God by John Bevere. By the way, I see Carl and Terry right there. Congratulations, guys. They, they renewed their vows last night, and I heard it was incredible. I'm really sorry I couldn't be there, but bless you guys. I heard it was amazing. And 
Um, Melody in Orlando. Where are Melody in Orlando? They just got engaged this weekend. So they all need the fear of the Lord. Here's a better word for the fear of the Lord. I'm just going to read this definition. This is a Webster's definition of the word awe. Awe is an emotion combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or sublime. If you're writing this down, um, I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to slow it down just a little bit. Awe is an emotion that combines dread, veneration, and wonder. That means there's fear and there's worship. There's fear and love at the same time in awe. You can't be in awe of something without having an affection for it. And wonder that's inspired by authority or by the sacred, which is something godlike or sublime, something that's above us. Awe is reverence and reasonable fear married with one another. Awe is, and it's a great definition for the fear of the Lord, but it's still not good enough. I don't know that we have an, an English word that is good enough for the fear of the Lord, but this is as close as we can get. There's reverence and there's reasonable fear married with one another. If you're in awe of something, that thing is inherently dangerous. For instance, outer space, whoa. Outer space is massive. It's infinitely bigger than us. Oceans, the ocean itself, massive, inherently dangerous. Can you die in the ocean? Can you die in space? If you don't prepare for outer space and you go there, you will die in outer space. You have to prepare to face a thing that you're in awe of. It's massive, it's expansive, it's impressive. Something that I'm in awe of is beyond my control. God is beyond my control. He's above my judgment. Something I'm in awe of is impossible to manipulate. It dwarfs my strength. It's worthy of reverence. That which is awesome does not play by my rules. I must play by its rules. Are you okay? Guys, that which is awesome does not play by my rules. I must play by its rules. When you realize that there is a God that is worthy of awe, you quit trying to impose your rules on him because he's above our judgment, because he's beyond our control, because he's massive. I'll give you an example. Uh, Mount Everest. You guys, Denali is beautiful. Denali is huge and it's awesome. It's 20,000 feet. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. There is one-third the air pressure on Mount Everest than there is down here. That means you have to breathe three times for every one time that you breathe here. In fact, there's a zone on Mount Everest that you can't acclimatize to. So if any human being spends too much time in that zone, that human being will die. There are 200 bodies littered across the face of the mountain where people have tried to climb up and down, and they're irrecoverable because it would cost you your life just to try to get that body down off the mountain. So when people go up the mountain, their landmarks are the bodies of other people who have fallen before them. They, go, they cross by, they go by this landmark called Green Boots 
because you can still walk by and see green boots laying there. They go by a landmark red jacket over here, and that's how you know you're on the right path because you follow the bodies of the people who went before you who did not have enough awe of the mountain. <laughs> There's a 14% death rate. Well, until 2000, there was a 14% death rate for anybody who'd try to go up. Listen, there's, there's a really good reason to stand in awe of this mountain, not just because it's massive, not just because it's beautiful. That mountain doesn't want to harm you. That mountain has no desire to destroy a human being. But by its very nature, it destroys human flesh. Anyone who gets to the top of that mountain gets to the top of that mountain dying all the way up. Guys, process this for a minute. Anybody who gets to that mountain gets to the top of that mountain dying all the way up. You know the Bible says that the Lord is a consuming fire. The Bible says for us to take up our cross daily. Look, the Lord doesn't want to harm me, but he is fully committed to killing me. Because there are aspects of my flesh that can't get to the top of the mountain without dying before I get there. There are aspects of myself I have to leave behind in order to acclimatize to God. There are aspects of myself I can't go up any further with, and I have to ditch my baggage on my way up the mountain. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if I stand in awe, listen, standing in awe of the mountain is what causes people to approach the mountain. Being in awe of the mountain causes people to want to climb the mountain, but being afraid of the mountain keeps you away from the mountain. So the only people who, who climb it are people who properly fear it. And the only people who make it to the top are people who properly fear it. Guys, God is just exactly like that. The only people who approach God are the ones who hold him in proper awe. But if I'm afraid of him, I stay at a distance. I don't come close. Proper awe is what causes, is what causes a climber to prepare for Everest. And if they don't prepare for Everest, when they face Everest, they will die on Everest. Proper awe is what causes us to prepare for meeting God. And if we don't prepare to meet God, when we do face God, we will die. That's what salvation is about. Salvation is about preparing me to face the awesome God. <sighs> Thank you, Jared. Um, I held my dad in awe as a kid. So I know some of you had dads that weren't good people. I get that. My dad was a good man. He had flaws, for sure. And the older I get, the more I see him, because that's just the nature of our growing up, right? But my dad was a good man, and I really held him in awe. Everybody saluted my father. He was a soldier. Everywhere we went, people saluted him. Everywhere we went, every time I heard his name mentioned, his name was mentioned with respect. There was only two people I ever met in my life that were higher ranks than my dad, and one of them was Omar Bradley. If you know anything about World War II, he was the highest ranking general in the army, Omar Bradley. <laughs> my dad was a respectable man. I saw him save people's lives twice. That was awe-inspiring to me. 
he was a man who carried authority and respect. None of my friends wanted to tick my father off, not because my father was mean, but because my father was a man of authority and they sensed it on my father. He carried authority and his name was worthy of honor and respect. So nobody wanted to cross him. He never, he never hit a single one of those kids. He didn't have to. He was awesome. My dad also ran everywhere he went. So if he was going to work, he ran. We lived in El Paso. He ran through the mountains. If he wasn't running, he was bicycling. My dad, uh, he got into marathon shape, and he just decided it's, it's probably better for me and easier for me to stay in marathon shape than it is to get into marathon shape. So he just ran a marathon every month. He ran a marathon every month until he was 70 years old. There is not a single day in my life when, for distance, I can outrun my dad. And I knew it. So one day, I'd done something to really irritate my mother. My, I, listen, I loved my mother, but I didn't fear my mother. She couldn't hit me very hard. I wasn't scared of that. My dad, on the other hand, I loved my dad, and I also feared my dad. So my mom would say, you wait till your dad gets home. I'm going to tell your dad about this. And I would walk around in a clinch for hours, you know, because I know my dad's going to show up. I know my dad loves me, but I also know he has the power and the authority to hold me accountable. God loves you, but he also has the power and the authority to hold you accountable. That requires a little bit of holy fear. So I waited all day long. My dad finally came home. I was, I was waiting at the back of the house. I heard him come in the door, and I heard my mom go up towards him and say something like, you will not believe what your son did and start to explain to him what I, I don't even remember what I did. It was wiped from my memory by sheer fear. So she, she starts telling my dad what, what his son did, and, and, and I'm listening, and I just hear a pause, and then I just hear, Zach. And I hit the back door, and I was running. <laughs> I was running. I was, <laughs> I, and I was fast, man. I was a, I was a fast little booger. I didn't know anybody who could outrun me. Short distance, I was speeding Gonzalez, man. So I took off, and I'm running as fast as I can. And my dad gave me a nice head start. <laughs> he went, and he was like, uh, ruler, no. Uh, mop, no. He selected a stick, <laughs> took his time. Then he walked out the back door, and he started coming after me. I knew that there was no chance in my entire life of me outrunning my dad. It was an impossibility. And still, my initial reaction to hearing him call my voice was to beat feet and to get out that door. Have you ever had that experience with God? Zach. <laughs> I'm out of here. Now, somehow, in the midst of that running, I began to reason. And as I'm running as fast as I can, I'm reasoning, eventually he's going to catch me. This guy runs a marathon every month. He's going to catch me. There's no way for me to outrun my father. His legs are longer than me. He's stronger than me. His lungs are better than mine. Eventually, he's going to catch me. And so I begin to reason in my kid brain, you know what? My dad's going to catch me. He has the authority and the power to hold me accountable to what I've just done. And I deserve it. But I also know that he's good. And I also know that he loves me. And I know that even though he is going to hold me accountable, he's not going to harm me. He's not going to spank me to death. 
he, he, he's, he's not going to sell me into captivity. <laughs> he's not going to take a hand or an eye or anything like that. He's reasonable. And you know what I did? I'm running as hard as I can. And behind me, I know somewhere back there, dun, 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 here comes my dad. <laughs> and I stopped, and I turned around, and I walked back to meet him. I wasn't afraid of my father. I was in awe of my father. Being in awe actually causes you to approach that which you're in awe of. Being afraid causes me to flee from that which I'm afraid of. The fear of the Lord is what makes him irresistible to people who hold him in reverence. Listen to me. The fear of the Lord is what makes him irresistible to people who hold him in reverence. Even if I know I've got something to answer to, I know my God loves me. I know that he's good. I know that he won't harm me. So instead of running from him, I turn around and I face him. And I go to that thing from which I seems like should be afraid. But I'm not afraid because I'm in awe. They're different. Awe is what sends astronauts into space. And fear is what keeps us on the ground. Awe is what's sent ship captains into the ocean for millennia. And fear is what keeps the rest of us here on land. Awe is what causes firefighters to face fires. And fear is what causes us to have phobias. Awe is what causes the mountain, uh, the climber to approach Everest. And fear is what causes me to just watch it from the couch. The awe of God is what makes you a pursuer of God. Do you understand? Now we're going to read this, Exodus 19, 10 through 11. This is... This is Moses and the Israelites. Moses has just led the Israelites out of captivity. God has opened up uh, the Red Sea, and they've walked through on dry ground. A fire came down from heaven and was a wall between them and their enemies. They've seen the power of God. They've seen miracles. They saw the nine plagues of Egypt. Pharaoh did not fear the Lord, and the nine plagues of Egypt wiped his nation out. So the Israelites are learning the fear of the Lord, but they're not there yet. So God calls them up to his holy mountain. And this is in Exodus 19, 10 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now watch this. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Now, how, how many of you know that as soon as you tell a rebellious person to stop doing something, the first thing they're going to do is that thing? It's, you know, a whole nation full of people that are, that are little rebels. As soon as he says abstain from sexuality, they start going, ooh, I don't know, three days. I don't even know if that's possible. So this is what I think. I think God told them to prepare because he was coming. He said, consecrate yourselves, be holy, don't have sex for three days. And they went, I only heard part of that. 
This is Exodus 20, 18 through 21. So this is the third day. When, when the people saw the thunder and lightning, God comes down on the mountain. When God comes down on the mountain, it's like a cloud, a, like a black cloud descending on top of the mountain with fire in the center of it. There's lightning shooting out of it. The mountain itself is shaking. There's thunder rolling down and there's what sounds like trumpets blasting coming out of this cloud and the people are standing there at the mountain all they've ever known before God showed up were golden idols that were absolutely powerless and they're being faced with a powerful God who told them prepare if you fear me you will prepare to meet me so that when you do meet me you won't have to be afraid but instead they didn't prepare themselves to meet with him so it says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. Look, these people are afraid of God. If they had had the fear of the Lord, they would have fled evil and listened to him and they would have nothing to fear. But because they didn't have the fear of the Lord, now they're afraid. And when you're afraid, you hide from God. They're running, they're hiding. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you. Watch this so that the fear of God will be with you to do what? Keep you from sinning. You know that Jesus, because of the cross, we're forgiven for all of our sins. Jesus has forgiven us for all of our sins, but do you know that, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to keep doing it? And the fear of the Lord is what keeps us from sinning. If I have a sin issue that I can't get over, guess what the problem is? I don't have a proper perception of God. I don't see him as awesome. I don't see him as mighty. I don't see him as having the authority and the power to confront me. I'm not respecting him. I'm walking in disrespect. The fear of the Lord causes me to put it down and put it away. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now watch this. This is one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Do you know why Moses was able to come into that thick darkness? Because he had the fear of the Lord. He held the Lord in awe and awe makes God irresistible. The fear of the Lord makes him irresistible. Moses knew. You know what God said? No man may see my face and live. You know what Moses said? Here I come. Even if it kills me to get to the top of Everest, I'm coming to the top of Everest because I'm in awe of Everest. Even if there's something inside of me I have to leave behind, even if there's something inside of me that dies, even if there's parts of me that when I get there are not going to be the same, I'm going to do it because I'm in awe of the Lord. I'm going up the mountain of God. It makes me approach him, not stay at a distance. The fear of the Lord drives us to him. 
the lack of fear drives us away from him. This is why Adam and Eve hid from God. Adam and Eve hid because they lacked the fear of God. This is why the Israelites remained at a distance. And this is why we don't, I'm not talking about you unless I am. I'm talking about us, the people of God. This is why the people of God, we lack intimacy with God. This is why we don't see the revival that we're praying for. God cannot send revival where there's no fear of the Lord because if we haven't prepared ourselves to meet with God, when we face him, it will do us harm. We prepare ourselves to face the Lord and when he comes, there's blessing. I'm telling you right now, this is the golden ticket. I wanna see revival in this church and in my life and in this state and in this country and on this earth. I want to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. But the glory of the Lord can't cover the earth unless you and I are willing to walk in the fear of the Lord. When the church walks in the fear of the Lord, we'll see the power of the Lord. And until we walk in the fear of the Lord, we will be a powerless, sinning church that lacks intimacy. Are you okay? I want to ask you, do you, do you fear the Lord? Do you see him as awesome? I'm just gonna read a list of things that God has done that are, you know, legions of demons fell at his feet, storms genuflect in his reverence, Ezekiel, Abraham, and John fell down like they were dead when they saw the Lord because of the shock of his holiness. Angels murmur holy, stammer because his glory is so mighty and splendorous before them. He's just, and he will judge the living of the, and the dead. He's not our pet. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's fearsome and holy. He laughs at man's wisdom. Our politics and our power are pettiness before him. Our wise men are like squawking seagulls. And our politicians are squabbling infants. Our nuclear arsenal are pop guns. We're a mere breath before him, and yet he loves us. The Lord is calling me back to the fear of the Lord. I'm gonna read this last scripture and then we're gonna close. This is Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us have grace and watch this. Grace doesn't just save us. Watch this. Watch what grace does. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Remember I said this is the awe of God. The awe of God is a combination of reverence and godly fear. Reverence and reasonable fear. This is saying this is part of what grace does in my life. Grace gives me the fear of the in reverence, not in anxiety. I'm not terrified. By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. 
I love a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh was talking about the fire of the Lord, and he was talking about a foundry or a forge and how when you're forging metal, you put it back into the fire over and over and over again. You hammer it out over and over and over again. And if we think life is going to be easy, we'll be terrified by God because he's going to ask a lot of us. But if we realize that the higher up we go, the more things we have to leave at the last base camp. If we realize that there's a God who actually is willing to burn away sin in my heart because he loves me so much, we're going to face the awe. We'll face the splendor. We'll face the Lord. And I think our children will have more of God maybe than we had. And I think maybe our grandchildren will have more of God than we had. And I think maybe we'll have an inheritance of revival because we'll be a people who walk into the thick darkness where God is. We'll be a people who don't hold back, but who approach the mountain because reverence will make him irresistible. Let's close our eyes together. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? We're going to do a couple more weeks after this of the fear of the Lord. And I'm just asking you to be patient with me because I'm, I'm just trying to pray and obey, okay? So if I mess something up and I don't say it right, just go ask God. If I say something that doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's okay, don't listen to me. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and if the Holy Spirit is drawing you into this, the fear of the Lord, I want to ask you to respond to him. I feel like I've gone through periods of my life where I haven't realized how mighty and how great, how powerful and how massive. I haven't realized that the, that the ocean is not to be feared. The God who made it maybe is. He's, he's, he's wider than space. He burns hotter than the fire. He's higher and more excellent than Everest. He's the Lord. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit, not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I pray that you would teach us how to revere you. I pray that you would teach us how to honor you. I pray that you would teach us a deeper respect than we've known here on earth. I pray that you would teach us the fear of the Lord. We're going to worship we're going to sing one more worship song, and I'm just going to ask you to listen. Just listen. Just allow the Lord to speak. And obey and respond. Dads, I'm not judging you, but I know that American fatherhood has not done a good job of fearing the Lord. And because of that, we have an entire generation of kids who have no awe of God. Our children don't submit to his ways. Our children don't see him as high and mighty. And I want to ask you to come back to the fear of the Lord. 
as we're worshiping, if you want to, you can stay in your seat. If you want to and you feel an impulse to do it, I want to ask you to come. Remember, this is an altar. I want to ask you to come. Fall on your knees before the Lord and say, and tell him, God, I fear you. I want to fear you more. Tell him, I love you. I want to love you more. Tell him, I honor you. I want to honor you more. Ask him to ignite inside of you that thing that was ignited inside of his son, the delight of the fear of the Lord, the thing that was Jesus' superpower. God, make it my superpower. I want to delight in the fear of the Lord, just like your son did. Ask him that, and then see what he does. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.